Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. You have found the most informative hour of sports radio you'll listen to all week long and the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in this week. In segment four, SportsSense, Tanya Antonucci, she's the CEO of the Women's Soccer Initiative. The WUSA folded back in 2003, and Tanya and her group are leading an effort to bring back a more fiscally sound Women's Professional Soccer League. The league is scheduled to launch in the spring of 2008, and ownership groups are already in place in cities like L.A., Dallas, Chicago, D.C., and St. Louis. We're going to discuss the rebirth of women's pro soccer in the U.S. with Tanya in Segment 4. A couple of other notes. Visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Email your comments and questions to info at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Click on the podcast page. You can have our show downloaded to your iPod every week. I'm joined in studio, as always, by Nathan Roach. Nathan, you talk about the NFL draft. 36.3 million people watched the draft last year. Those are huge numbers. Well, yeah, those are numbers that jump right off the page at me when I see them. But when you think about it, you think of all the fantasy football, you know, people out there who die, live and die with fantasy football. And you also think about every student that went to college at a university. The draft is so deep that if if you're at, you know, Temple or wherever, your player might go. So you're tuned in to see if and where he goes. Well, yeah, I mean, just to put these numbers in perspective for an average NHL hockey playoff game. And keep in mind, the postseason, that's the time of year everyone's supposedly watching. 300,000 people tuning in. in. The NBA playoffs, this is getting better ratings than the NBA playoffs in the first round and even the second round. And American Idol, they get, you know, roughly 38 million people watching their show. So this is up there with those types of shows. Lots of people watching the NFL draft. We will talk about that coming up in segment three with Dan Masonson from the NFL. Lots of headlines coming up next. The sports world pays tribute to Virginia Tech. We'll discuss that and much more. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. A really tough week following the tragic shootings and deaths at Virginia Tech on Monday. And as it happens so often, Nathan, the sports world 
feels the ripple effect. And a lot of entities out there this week paid tribute to Virginia Tech. Let's first look at NASCAR. They've received permission from Virginia Tech to display the school's logo on race cars for the next three weeks to honor the 32 victims of Monday's shootings at the campus. Very cool gesture by NASCAR. Uh, It's very cool, and it's very sad that it takes this type of tragedy to really bring everybody from all different entities, sports and now NASCAR and golf, together to, you know, to mourn those lost. So it's, it's good for that factor, sad, obviously, in the other. Well, you mentioned golf. Titleist in New Orleans at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, about 50 PGA Tour players uh, are going to be sporting specifically designed orange hats with the Virginia Tech logo on their hat. So when you're watching golf this weekend, Check that out. Michael Vick, who attended Virginia Tech, he's donating money to assist the families affected by the shootings. I think that's great. His foundation is getting involved. The D.C. Nationals, they were really the first ones who responded on Tuesday night. You could see when they took the field, they had the Virginia Tech baseball caps on. And I tip my hat, literally, to Stan Caston, who's been on the show, the president of the D.C. Nationals. And to Major League Baseball. Sometimes people want to pay tribute by wearing something different on their uniform. And they've got to go through all these logistics and there's politics. Major League Baseball, the Nationals, they got it right. They moved swiftly. And one day later, the Nationals were wearing Virginia Tech hats. I think that was great. Well, and one more, a minor league team stepping in the single A Salem Avalanche for the remainder of the season will wear the Virginia Tech logo on their batting helmets as well. I don't think that this is the last you know, set of team sports uh, franchises that will participate in this, and I think it's a fantastic thing to do. The last note on this story, uh, Tiki Barber played for the New York Giants, retired at the end of last season. He's now with NBC. He'll be on their Sunday night football coverage, but he also works for the Today Show. His first assignment uh, wasn't scheduled, but he ended up going to Blacksburg, Virginia. His parents actually met at Virginia Tech, and he was assigned to that story. So first day out of the shoot, that's quite a story to get assigned to. Well, and I didn't get to see, I didn't get a chance to see the coverage. Did you see it? Was it, how did you do? I did not see it, but I heard he did a nice job, especially under the circumstances. Our next headline. The Columbus Dispatch is reporting that Ohio State freshman Greg Oden is declaring for the NBA draft. As we've mentioned many times on this show, his agent is going to be Mike Conley Sr., who is the father of his teammate Mike Conley Jr. He's also known Oden since his freshman year in high school. I used to do some work for Nike. Uh, I've been at the AAU games and Mike Conley Sr. coached Odin and Mike Conley Jr. during those AAU games. They've got a close relationship. But now it looks like we're going to have Odin and Durant in the draft. It's going to be a big draft. Well, this is no surprise to me and shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. I always like to see the students or athletes stay one or two more years past their freshman year. Durant and Odin, I mean, these guys are at the top of their game, and they've even been hailed as one of the best freshman class members ever. So you've got to go with this move. Yeah, there's a lot of money at stake. I usually say stay in school, but in this case, there's just so much money at stake. I think it makes sense. Our next headline, Keith Olman, named co-host of NBC's Football Night in America. He joins the Sunday night NFL team. Uh, he's joining Bob Costas, Chris Collinsworth, Jerome Bettis, and Tiki Barber, Nathan. I don't know why you need him. You got the king in Costas on NBC. I mean, he's the king of commentary. You don't need to add someone else. He already can do it on his own. Add a role player. Our next headline, the Sonics. It looks like the NBA days in Seattle and in the state of Washington could be done. When we talked to Commissioner David Stern last week, 
He said there were a lot of hurdles to be cleared. Well, this week, Washington lawmakers decided they're not going to vote on public funding for a proposed $500 million arena in Renton. This is horrible news for fans that want to see the Sonics stay in Washington because basically what it means, Nathan, is unless private investors step forward and fund this, it's not going to get paid for by the taxpayers. No, it's awful news for Sonics fans, but actually great great news for Portland Trail Blazers organization and fans. We talk about the Mariners being up in Seattle and no baseball team in Portland and how there's a lot of community from Portland residents to Seattle. And now it might have the same trickle effect. If the Sonics leave Seattle, then they might come down to Portland, thus boosting the Blazers' attendance. Well, the other city that will benefit by a possible move is the number one relocation possibility is Oklahoma City. They did a fantastic job supporting the Hornets. A lot of people think that the Sonics would do very well in Oklahoma City. So we'll see if that happens. But, uh, you know, there's some people that wonder, and I'm one of them, the lease doesn't expire till 2010. Clay Bennett, the owner of the Sonics, says we're not going to stick around till 2010. We're not going to be a lame duck franchise for the next two years. Why not just break, break the lease now and, and move this summer? I don't know. You know, you'd have to get that voted uh, through by the other NBA owners, but it doesn't seem to make any sense to stick around for another season or two when you're a lame duck franchise. Well, not only that, but your fans aren't going to want to turn out that much more if they know that they're leaving, and are your players really going to put the effort in if they know that they're leaving? I mean, I know they'll still be a member of the team, but still. Our next headline, another NBA story, Memphis Grizzlies majority owner Michael Heisley indicated this week that the Grizzlies would no longer be for sale as of May 1st if he has not made a deal with someone else. Well, May 1st is rolling around here pretty soon, so it looks like Heisley's going to be keeping the team. Well, other news from the Grizzlies this week, Jerry West, his contract expires on June 30th. He's going to take them through the draft, and then he's going to say, bye-bye, Grizzlies. West made about $5 million a year, so West wasn't happy there, but also Michael Heisley was not about to pay West $5 million a year for the team that has the worst record in the NBA. Well, West definitely made it out ahead here. He did fantastic things in L.A., obviously, and they hoped for the same in Memphis, and he didn't get it done, and therefore it's a good move on West's part to leave. Unfortunately, the Grizzlies are left uh, with nothing. Well, there will be several teams around the league that want to hire Jerry West, so I don't think his days as a GM are done. Kiki Vandeweghe seems to be the leading candidate, the name that is mentioned most with the Memphis Grizzlies post. We will keep our eyes on that. Our next headline, NBA official Joey Crawford was suspended indefinitely after he ejected San Antonio Spurs star Tim Duncan last Sunday while Duncan was seated on the bench. This was a really weird situation, but bottom line here, Nathan, is I can't remember the last time I saw David Stern in the league come down this strong on an official. Oh, I don't know that I've ever seen him, but but it's well-deserved. If you saw the clip, he did nothing wrong. You know, these these referees make quite a bit of money. This is a gigantic pay chunk if he doesn't get paid. Well, and also, this isn't the first time that Joey Crawford has had a problem where he's been warned. So that's what Commissioner Stern said this week is there's been previous incidents and we're not going to stand for it anymore. Our next headline, Division One NCAA board is considering banning text messages from college coaches and recruiters to recruits. This is kind of a weird one, Nathan, because 
I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, when I was playing tennis back in college and I was getting recruited for tennis, that was right when email was just starting up. And so the same sort of thing applied back then. So this is just trying to keep up with the technology. It doesn't make much sense, but it can be much more discreet and coaches are less likely to get busted for it. I want to see the wording on this. Is it only text messages or will it be emails too? Because a lot of these players have Blackberries. I have a Blackberry. Can I send you an email, but I can't send you? Well, text to message? me, an email is much more traceable than a text message. I agree, so we'll have to see how this plays out. Our last headline of the week, Bears linebacker Brian Urlacher. You may remember he wore a vitamin water hat at Super Bowl Media Day last year. The NFL, just this week, fined him $100,000 for wearing that hat. My guess is... They got, Vitamin Water got a lot of exposure out of this. I'll bet you they're paying the fine. I bet you they are, too. I mean, a 30-second ad for the Super Bowl is over a million dollars, so you have to assume that uh, he's got a chunk of that. The other news with Vitamin Water this week is that Heat Center Shaquille O'Neal signed a deal with them. He's going to be a spokesperson for the company, uh, and the slogan with him is going to be, Size Matters. When you're thirsty. So he's also going to be an investor in the company, which I think is interesting. Absolutely. Anytime you get to hear Shaquille as an investor in anything, I think that that's worth a laugh. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Dan Masonson from the NFL. We're going to take you behind the scenes of next weekend's NFL draft at Radio City Music Hall in New York. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Dan Masonson. He's the NFL Director of Marketing and Communications. He's joined us on the show before. Dan, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. So we're a week away from the NFL draft in New York. Let's start with the basics. The draft is taking place next Saturday and Sunday, Radio City Music Hall. The NFL Network is going to offer 20 hours of live coverage from the first pick all the way to the last pick. You know, Dan, the draft has become such a huge marquee event for the NFL. 36.3 million viewers tuned in last year. What has the league done to really make this a marquee event? Well, you know, the interest grows every year, and that 36 million number that you cited, that's nearly a 50% increase from the people who watched just five years earlier. And I think what it is is more interest in the 32 teams, the players, and to some extent, fantasy football. The numbers uh, keep growing. 
Yeah, I mean, last year we had Vince Young and Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and some real marquee names. And, you know, obviously there was all the anticipation about would Reggie Bush be number one? It ended up being uh, Mario Williams, I believe. And uh, but this year, there's not quite the same anticipation, but it's, you know, it's wide open for the number one pick. So I anticipate a lot of viewers again this year. Well, that's true. And, and there are there are possible trade talk and there are some big name players coming in again. You saw Jamarcus Russell and Calvin Johnson and Brady Quinn and, of course, Adrian Peterson, who, who had such outstanding college careers that people are, are looking forward to seeing them. And that's why they'll, they'll tune in on Saturday. So two networks, again, are going to cover the draft, the NFL Network and ESPN. Rich Eisen, again, will host the NFL Network's coverage. He's going to be joined by a slew of reporters, including Deion Sanders, Marshall Falk, Steve Mariucci. What are some of the highlights we should look for from the NFL Network's coverage of the draft this year? Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as you said, NFL Network will, for the first time, cover all 255 picks and uh, with Rich Eisen hosting. And, of course, college football expert Mike Mayock, who who – has had he and another new analyst, Charles Davis, who called the BCS National Championship right. game on Fox last year, they'll, they'll both be uh, key football experts along with the other uh, uh, analysts that you mentioned. And the interesting thing about Mike and Charles Davis is that they, they had exclusive week-long access at both the Combine and the Senior Bowl coverage this year, so they really have an in-depth knowledge of all the prospects and and the draft stocks of all these players. You know, I think I mentioned before, uh, I get the NFL Network. I have DirecTV, and I'm a big fan of the networks. I've got to tell you, I want to talk a minute about some of your uh, your on-air talent. Uh, Marshall Falk, last year when we talked, you know, he was still, quote-unquote, an active player. Now he's officially retired. I thought he did a fantastic job growing into his role last year as a broadcaster. I think he's got a bright future. Right, absolutely, and I know that speaking with our executive producers and directors out out at the, at the network, they 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 see good things for him, and you and you've seen his his role has grown, and he he was on the total access on location pregame show for our, for the NFL Network's eight game package last year, and obviously he was working on the combine coverage, and will be having having a prominent role this weekend at the draft. And then uh, the other guy that I've been really impressed with is Deion Sanders. You know, he was on other networks before he came to the NFL network, but it seems like he's become kind of the go-to guy when players in the NFL kind of want to uh, go to confession, so to speak, or if they want to, uh, you know, talk about something in depth, they come to Dion. Yes. He's, he's really, he's found his niche and uh, a lot of the players will talk to him and they, they, they uh, look to uh, get their point across to him. And, and he is, is very good in, in uh, drawing out players. Well, and I saw Pac-Man Jones, perfect example. He's, you know, the only guy the only guy he'd talk to is, is Deion Sanders, and I thought that was a real great exclusive for you guys to get. Right, yeah, Deion has a, has a level of, of respect that goes through uh, the players in this league, so it certainly is, is uh, beneficial and it makes him a, uh, a very good interviewer. So, Dan, the other things I want to talk about here, you offer coverage of the draft on so many different platforms. Not only can you see it on the NFL Network, but it's on the radio, it's online, it's on your mobile phones. Would you talk for a moment about all the different ways that you're offering content for the NFL draft this year? Sure, yeah. As, as, as mentioned, the uh, draft will be on two TV networks, and Sprint, which is the presenting sponsor of the draft on NFL Network and NFL.com, will also carry applications uh, on its wireless service, so fans can actually watch the NFL Network's draft coverage on their Sprint wireless service. 
Obviously, NFL.com with the experts Gil Brandt, Pat Kerwin, and Vic Carucci will offer comprehensive coverage that fans have come to expect since the site began in 1995. And interestingly, that, that the draft was the first event covered by NFL.com. Sirius Satellite Radio will cover the draft from gavel to gavel. So basically, the NFL draft is available on demand on many mediums to fans. Well, and it seems like in the past, two Sprint has also helped you with uh, you know, if you're originating from team headquarters, Sprint is involved in, in that technology as well. Is that going to be a case again this year? Well, NFL Network has uh, has the has the team cams in each team facility, if that's what you're referring to. And there right. may be some other te- technology involved as well uh, that I'm not uh, aware of right now with all the, the, the inner workings of that. And then you're going to have reporters stationed at different facilities. Like you said, you'll be able to go to any of the 32 team facilities, but you'll have uh, reporters stationed at certain facilities that you'll go to throughout the day. Where will some of those uh, locations be? Right. We'll have uh, Paul Burmeister out with the Chargers, Scott Hansen in Dallas with the Cowboys, Kara Henderson in Atlanta with the Falcons, Darren Horton out in Oakland with the, with the Raiders have the first pick, and Solomon Wilcox in Cincinnati where he played. My guest is Dan Masonson. He's the NFL's Director of Marketing Communications. We're talking about the NFL Draft. NFL Total Access, it's really become your marquee program on your network. What can we look for this week from them leading up to the draft? Well, there are going to be essentially five 90-minute Total Access draft editions each day of the week. Uh, 90 minutes originating from the Culver City Studios, but as the players come into town late in the week, there will be more coverage of the goings-on here in New York. As well, there's, there's going to be at 6.30 Eastern East, each night, a, a half-hour lead-in as the special path to the draft programs. Dan, speaking of the goings-on in New York, uh, if I'm coming to Radio City Music Hall and I want to go to the draft, how many tickets are available? How, uh, how rare is it to get a ticket to come watch the draft in person? Well, the draft is, has become, as, as you mentioned, with the popularity of the draft, it's become a, a, a hotter ticket each season. And there's roughly about 2,500 tickets available to the public, and the ticket windows will open on a first-come, first-served basis at 6 a.m. on draft morning. And are, is there a cost for those tickets, or is it just the, free? The, the tickets are free. Wow, that's great. Which players do you plan on inviting to the draft? I know, you know, in the green room, there's a certain amount of players that you invite to attend the draft in person. Uh, who are you inviting this year? Yeah, there will be five players this year. Uh, Jamarcus Russell and Brady Quinn, the two quarterbacks, uh, the uh, excellent wide receiver Calvin Johnson, defensive lineman Gaines Adams, and the running back from Oklahoma, Adrian Peterson, will be the five players in attendance. They'll arrive into town late, later in the week and and then over the, the few days before the draft, they'll be taking part in numerous media and charitable events, including a luncheon, a visit to a local hospital pediatric ward, a youth football clinic, and many local and national media appearances. They'll also be interestingly enough for fans who might not have might not uh, get get tickets to the draft. There's going to be an NFL Draft Central area set up outside Radio City Music Hall, which, which to some extent will be a, a mini NFL experience for fans. And the, those five draftees that, that are that come into New York will likely stop by on Saturday uh, after they're picked. That's great, and they'll probably be very happy after they've been picked. I watched what you did last year with the picks that you had in town, and it looks like they had a, a really good time. While they were there, let's talk about the NFL regular season schedule for a moment. Uh, obviously, NFL Network will again carry live games on the network. One of the highlights of your schedule is 
Super Bowl MVP Peyton Manning. The Colts are going to play the Atlanta Falcons on Thanksgiving. I think it's going to be – it looks like you've got a really good schedule again this year for the NFL Network. Yeah, NFL Network is uh, – we're very happy with the schedule NFL Network got. Uh, I think all the networks got outstanding schedules, and, and really it's a 256-piece jigsaw puzzle because that's how many games there are. And they're, you know, it's, it's complicated with buys, primetime windows, flexible scheduling, stadium components. But, uh, but yeah, we're pleased with the schedule. NFL Network in particular got that great kickoff Thanksgiving night game with the Colts and the Falcons in Atlanta. The, uh, an interesting matchup the week after that is the Packers and the Cowboys playing, which is about a month earlier than, a, than the 40-year anniversary of the Ice Bowl, which is that great, great game between the clubs. You know, speaking of the schedule, Dan, you know, like you just said, it's a jigsaw puzzle. But obviously you're trying to grow your network. So how much weight when the NFL is putting the schedule together, how much weight do they say, hey, listen, this is our network. We're trying to grow it. Uh, we're going to give ourselves some of the best games out there. Well, you know, I think the NFL Network is very important to the league and to, and to the uh, owners as an initiative. But 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 there are five TV partners, and the and the and the schedule is put together to maximize the games and the exposures that all of those TV partners get. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is Roger Goodell. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with the job that he's done so far. What can you tell us about Roger Goodell? Because there's a lot of people out there that see what he's done as NFL commissioner, but they don't really know his background that well. Can you uh, tell us a little more about Commissioner Goodell? Sure. He, he began his career at, at the NFL as an intern in the early 80s. He worked at the New York Jets for a year and then came back to the NFL and worked in the PR department. And over the 25 years that he's worked here, he, he moved from PR and, and served in many areas, including game operations, football operations, worked on international business, local business, and mark, I should say domestic business and, and marketing efforts. And then he also happened to work on the expansion of the league to its current 32 teams. One last question. Uh, I had NBA Commissioner David Stern on the show last week. He told us about the league's uh, potential growth into China. What is the NFL's future as you see it with growing their brand abroad? I know there was a game that was scheduled for China later this year. It was postponed. Uh, how do you see the NFL growing its brand in the future in other countries? Well, international is a huge initiative for the NFL. There's a game this year in London. It's the uh, it's going to be October 28th, it's first regular season game overseas when the Giants take on the Miami Dolphins at Wembley Stadium. And as you can tell, that's the it's the it's the first game. Uh, since the regular season game that was so successful in Mexico City a few years ago between the Cardinals and the 49ers. And that's a part of an initiative that will be taking place every year. And that right there shows the importance of the international fans to the NFL. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you taking time. I know it's a a super busy week for you. And uh, best of luck with the NFL draft. Thank you. Thanks again. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. 
With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Tanya Antonucci. She's the CEO of the Women's Soccer Initiative. Tanya, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So, Tanya, give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got involved with the Women's Soccer Initiative, if you would. Absolutely. Um, I come from a, I guess, a soccer background, uh, collegiate coaching, and um, prior to that, playing collegiately uh, at Stanford University. And um, probably more importantly, though, from a business perspective, I spent 10 years in um, consumer Internet uh, uh, products, and the last seven years or so I was at, at Yahoo as a general manager of, manager of our FIFA World Cup partnership. So had a good mix of um, – uh, sports business uh, experience uh, related to to soccer, and that kind of dovetailed into uh, taking on this role to relaunch the league. Tanya, explain to us what the Women's Soccer Initiative is uh, for those unfamiliar with it. Okay, we're we're simply a, a nonprofit organization with a mission to um, assist and enable the recreation of the league. So we're a, a small group um, dedicated to um, when we started in 2005. Um, taking a, a fresh look at um, the state of women's soccer, uh, understanding the lessons learned from the previous business and business model, and and, and basically you know, crafting an, a new viable business model that has the uh, potential to be sustainable um, for, for years to come for professional women's soccer in this country. Let me go back for a moment uh, and talk about your experience at, at Yahoo. I would imagine because of that experience, like you said, you've got the soccer background, you've got the business background, uh, it's probably very helpful to you as you're undertaking this. And I'm sure, you know, this hasn't really been done before, so you're probably learning a lot along the way. Absolutely. Um, trying to capitalize a business is, is something that, um, obviously, from my Yahoo experience, um, um, I, 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 learned some, um, I learned some things from, from, from that. And, and starting something from, from the ground up, it's an exciting way to, 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 to go about um, um, driving something forward, working on an emerging, emerging business. And, and clearly, in the internet and, and, and innovations and technology will be a big part of this of this new league. But I think that um, you know the Yahoo experience really taught me to um, you know to to be aggressive and to um, you know to, to look at new opportunities and look at things differently. And really, that's what we've done is we've stepped back and said, okay, what really didn't work, and and how can we get this right a second time? And um, I think we had kind of the the flexibility and the opportunity to do that, and it's been great. Let's talk about the WUSA for a moment. It lasted three seasons. Looks like you had about forty million dollars in funding before it folded in two thousand three. You just talk about making it more sustainable. What are you doing this time around to make it better than last time around? Right, and that original investment of forty million um, in two thousand and one turned out to be um, a hundred million over three years which many of your listeners will probably find um, grotesquely impressive that that much was spent <laughs> on women's professional soccer. You know, I mean, the reality was is, is that these guys had a lot of exuberance um, coming off of the 1999 FIFA Women's World Cup, 14 Nielsen rating on ABC, um, fantastic, 
huge event, lightning in a bottle, and that didn't translate into a league business model. It was an emerging business that they expected a trajectory of revenues that was unrealistic, and their biggest mistake was that they spent so much against these projected revenues to support those revenues, which never, you know, which never panned out. So I think our biggest challenge has also been, in some ways, our easiest, which is to just have the conviction and the discipline to make the cuts in the areas that we need to to um, to, to realistically um, measure the opportunity of this business and to say, okay, how can we be clever about it so that we put it in a position to grow into a major sports league, but we start off in a way where we can sustain the early years. And that's kind of what we set out to do. It looks like the basic thing that you're doing different this time around is you're going with a franchise ownership model instead of a league ownership model. I think that's going to make a tremendous difference. And then you've got some pretty impressive people who have already signed on the dotted line to be a part of your league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got some guys like you know the AG organization, which is obviously well invested and experienced in professional soccer in this country, um, as an example, to some owners who have strategic partnerships with these other soccer-specific stadiums around the country. So, we have some major league soccer owners in common with, with, with our with our corporate um, entity um, and with our new league, and yeah, we we have the I guess. Looking back on history, it's, it's easier to know this now, of course. Sure. But the idea that women's soccer should not be a standalone business, that we should be looking to create efficiencies and leverage overhead in existing infrastructure, um, that is possible in today's market. These soccer-specific stadiums exist, and that's been part of how we've targeted our ownership group. And as you said, we really believe this had to be a franchise model, a traditional sports model, because you know, it's local. It's team affinity, it's grassroots marketing, it's building this from the ground up versus a huge national television strategy, marketing strategy, and um, expenses that don't have the foundation below it. My guest is Tanya Antonucci. She's the CEO of the Women's Soccer Initiative. Tanya, if I'm the Anschutz group or someone who signed it on the dotted line to uh, operate a team in this league, what are my operating expenses going to be? Yeah, um... So there's a range, and that is between about one and a half million to two and a half million a year, um, OPEX, and that's um, a, a range because, as I was just mentioning, depending on what kind of um, existing or shared overhead you have access to, with with staff, with your facility, with your game day operations, if you own the facility, you're going to see a variability in that cost. But the franchise incurs 100% of their own local costs, and they they keep 100% of their local revenues. So one of the things that probably uh, varies, like you just said, is if I own an MLS team and I also own one of these teams, then my stadium expenses are going to be different than if I have to rent out a stadium uh, because I don't own an MLS team, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then it works you know, for the fans and for sponsors and marketers. It works on the flip side, too, because you've got a better experience. You've got a better game experience. It's more authentic for soccer. You're not playing in a huge cavernous football stadium that's you know, costing you nearly six figures to open and run, and it's empty, so, um, you know, it's tough to sell tickets. Um, and, you know, the TV experience is bizarre because there's so many empty seats. And we've got a different model here, and we think that we can really leverage the, the investment that's gone into these soccer-specific stadiums. Now, will we fill them initially, and many of these are twenty to 25,000 seats? No, we won't. Um, we consider and define success as four or 5,000 
paid attendance per game to start. And that will vary. But nonetheless, it's something we can grow into. And we think it's a better overall, you know, kind of long-term plan. And hopefully, again, many of these owners of ours are servicing, you know, the debt servicing for these facilities. It's happening on other books. <laughs> right. One of the things uh, that I thought was also uh, just didn't work last time around was, like you just said, cavernous stadiums like RFK Stadium in D.C., these enormous stadiums. And, and like you said, a lot of empty seats. You know, you want to make it look like it's, it's full and that the tickets are in demand, right? Absolutely. It creates a buzz. You know, anytime there's scarcity for something that people think is valuable and enjoyable and it's hard to get tickets, that's great. Um, sponsors love it because there's a buzz and media is following it. And, and then, of course, television becomes more and more valuable. And, and, you know, in some of our markets, you may see us playing in some temporary facilities. There aren't soccer-specific stadiums in some of our markets. As of yet, there will be over time. So you may even see more of that in the early years of our league. And, again, going back to the franchise model, we're going to give our owners the flexibility to make some of those decisions. As long as they're meeting sort of the minimum operating standards for staging a game in a professional way, those are some of their local decisions to make. Now, it looks like you're going to launch in eight uh, cities starting next spring. Where are these eight cities? Can you share with us? uh... Absolutely. Yeah, Um, Los Angeles and a to-be-named Western um, United States city. So we have an owner, and he's committed, but he hasn't picked his city yet. It okay. will achieve our national footprint, though. And in the middle of the country, we've got Chicago, St. Louis, and uh, Dallas, sort of sort of central um, southwest. Right. And then on the east, we've got uh, Boston, uh, New Jersey, New York as one territory, and Washington, D.C., Tanya, some of the, the household names when it comes to women, women's soccer, uh, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy, Brandy Chastain, they're probably done as players, but do you see a role for them in this league? Maybe as uh, front office people or TV commentators? Uh, it seems like they've got a lot of marketability they could lend. Yeah, I mean, I think we see um, what we like to call sort of ceremonial roles for, for some of these guys. Um, Foudy has a, a contract with uh, ESPN. Obviously, she does national team games and Major League Soccer games, and certainly she would lend a lot of, of credibility and excitement to be involved in that, with us. And, and um, you know, as far as front office roles, I don't know, you know, how you parlay, um, you know, their great on-the-field achievements into, you know, uh, penciling out budgets in the front office. But <laughs> certainly there is a role for these guys to play, particularly to help, um, you know, reestablish the brand and help um, – kind of pass the baton to the next generation of, of athletes who are going to be the next stars. And that happens in every sport, whether it's Michael Jordan in the NBA. I mean, David Stern is, and his team work very hard every day to, to develop and promote the next Michael Jordan. So, you know, just like that, we're, we're facing the same challenge of who will be the next Mia Hamm. Tanya, last question. You know, soccer is the world sport. Uh, a lot of people play soccer. A lot of people watch it in other countries, yet it hasn't quite caught on here yet. What's going to happen to change that, do you think? Well, I, I go back to something I said earlier, which is you've got you've to set your, your goals more modestly and have you know, sort of um, steady growth plans where um, you define four or 5,000 fans as success and you grow from there. But I think the way you, you, you kind of go to the next level is – you really get integrated with the communities. And that's, that's again, why we thought franchise was another reason, um, another reason that franchise was the right model, because there are so many kids and adults and 
through the college ranks, people participating in soccer. And if you work with the communities to figure out ways that they're integrated into this franchise, that they're a part of it, they're a part of the community, they're not supporting it because, you know, their arm is twisted to do so, but because they they really feel welcomed into it and are really enjoying the experience. And in many cases, their kids get a chance to live that dream again, to see these athletes out there as role models. You've got to work with them to make it to make it possible of all the choices these families have that you make sure that this is a priority in their entertainment. And um, and again, you know, you've got to that's got to be a local um, set of relationships foster that and get those people out there and make them, you know, make them know that they're they're part of it and they're they're integral to it succeeding because I'll say that you know, we recognize that this is probably the the last chance women's professional soccer is going to get in a very long time if we can't get this right. And from a business perspective, we're doing what we can, but the fans have to also understand it's not enough to just think about supporting this and believing that it, it's the right thing to do. They have to, they have to show some action in some way, and that's watching the games on television or getting out there and watching in person or following the games on the internet. Um, Buying the products that the, you know, that the that the marketers who are supporting this league are are selling, in all of those ways. Well, Tanya, I like your approach. I wish you the best of luck in the future. Guests appearing during our sports end segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Tanya, thank you. Best of luck, and uh, let's keep in touch moving forward. Very good. I'd enjoy that. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business. Radio will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James' highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503 807 7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back, and Tennessee Titans quarterback Vince Young will appear on the cover of EA Sports Madden NFL 08. Now, there's been the Madden curse, Nathan. Uh, Sean Alexander last year was on the cover, and he was the sixth straight Madden cover game athlete that sustained a serious injury. So there's some people that just don't want to be on the cover. The other interesting thing about this is that to be on the cover, you only make between $100,000 and $200,000. In my mind, if I'm the agent for one of these guys, I'm saying I want $500,000 minimum and I want appearance fees when I go appear on Jimmy Kimmel or go promote EA Sports. Listen, this game has made millions and millions of dollars. It's been one of EA Sports' highest-selling games. If you're making millions of dollars, 
I want more than $200,000. Well, that's exactly why I disagree with you. This this has sold so many games. It's one of the most popular games ever made for, you know, the exposure that you get by being on the cover of this game. You're the only player on the cover, and everybody owns this game. It just does wonders, I think, for future sponsorships. But you know what? That doesn't pay the bills. I, I agree. It will help you with other Potential. sponsorships. Potential is a good thing. Well, we'll see. Hopefully Vince Young doesn't get hurt. And uh, hopefully he has a good season, but uh, we'll keep our eye on the uh, EA Sports Madden cover jinx. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. Dan Masonson from the NFL, Tanya Antonucci from the Women's Soccer Initiative, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Katie Gold, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, Nike Golf, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. Have a terrific week, and we will talk to you next week. And I'm Brian Berger. See you later. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>